I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, recorded in the Living Kitchen Studio. Every designer I speak with has their own unique talents and set of skills. That's what allows them to stand out and achieve at a high level of success. People gravitate toward creative types, like a moth to light. I find it fascinating, and I've been trying to see if I can isolate some of the qualities as it relates to design and architecture. And one thing has come to my attention that stands to reason, but is still pretty interesting. Many designers enjoying success as it relates to licensing their name and crafting partnerships with manufacturers. There are some consistencies there. Designer lines uh, it's it's not a new concept. Designers and manufacturers are getting better with regard to marketing, promotion, and execution of marketing strategies to promote and sell. I wanted to know why and how, so I sought out one of the incredible talents enjoying this at, at a high level of success, Sue Firestone, chairman and founder of SFA Design. She has seen success as a designer businesswoman and owner of her namesake product line, the Sue Firestone collection includes a line of wall coverings with Kravit and a furniture line through A. Rudin. What you'll find is that her line is completely on brand with her signature philosophy, that California style that exemplifies the organic approach by which she built her reputation as a designer. Sue talks about her inspiration, her travels, and what led her to where she is today. This is about her application of creativity, perception, and skill. When these are aligned, anything is possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Convo by Design. Have you subscribed to the podcast? Are you checking out the videos on YouTube? You can see episodes uh, and videos from conversations like these, so I hope you check it out. As always, if you have a question about the show, a submission or idea for an upcoming episode, you can reach me at convobydesign at outlook.com. If you need links to anything mentioned above, you can find them in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond, a family-owned and operated company serving LA's design and architecture community for over 70 years. They do this with superior customer service and providing world-class products like those from Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. Sub-Zero pioneers in the concept of built-in refrigeration with state-of-the-art internal systems that allow for the trifecta of precision refrigeration, humidity control, temperature control, and purified air. Now, take that and put your refrigeration next to the wine storage system in classic stainless or panel-ready for a truly customized look, and you have a wall of technological beauty, a masterpiece of food and wine preservation. Pair that with a Wolf Range, the unmistakable and iconic centerpiece. With so many sizes and configurations, you can create a configuration for just about any design you can imagine. Also, you can give your client the kitchen of their dreams, and one where the homeowner can perform like a pro. And right now, Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove are offering a $500 rebate on select models. These offers are only for a limited time, and details apply. So take control and get all these details. To see the full line of Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove products, go to any of the three Los Angeles area Snyder Diamond locations. You can also see the living kitchen in the Pasadena and Santa Monica Snyder Diamond showrooms. 
were raised in Malibu, Dana Point, and you live and, and work primarily in Santa Barbara. I live in Santa Barbara. You live in Santa Barbara. But our main office for SFA Design is actually in Los Angeles on La Cienega. Okay. Well, my, my point in, in mentioning that was to say how sorry I am <laughs> for your community. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. Native Angelino as well. And I love L.A. Part of living in L.A. and surrounding areas is that we have a vibrant but rapidly changing climate. Right. Um, and this is a this is a this is the wild wild west. It really is. Yeah. And while these things happen, it changes, it changes neighborhoods and it changes communities. So I, I know how devastating it can be. And what what's happened in both Malibu and and Santa Barbara is just is just devastating. Are, are you seeing? How does I, I just wanted to sort of touch on this? How does a neighborhood come back? Good question. Um, well, let's start with Montecito in Santa Barbara because last year was devastating with the mudslide, and you know, twenty-seven people lost. They still haven't found two of the children that were, you know, perished in that, and it was so horrible. And I have very close friends and and people I know that lost their homes and some that lost their loved ones. So it's. I don't think we've come back yet. Um, it was literally just over a year ago. And then, of course, my own property up in Santa Inez uh, came close to being lost in a fire the year before. And, uh, but I grew up in Malibu and on Point Doom, where there was many fires, oftentimes fires, you know, and evacuations, you know, as a teenager growing up on Point Doom, getting, you know, all the livestock and animals out was always critical. But this last year, the Woosley fire that really devastated Malibu was, you know, kind of beyond whatever I, what, what I experienced um, growing in, up on Point Doom. So, you know, I think between earthquakes, fires, and now they have the floods, um, it's just, you know, you, it, you're right. It's the wild, wild, wild west, even though it's a lot of sophistication in California. But I think we all have to get used to, you know, we're at the mercy of Mother Nature. And I grew up with that, so I have a revered feeling towards Mother Nature. And my family and I sail a lot, so we're very respectful of weather. Um, and it's a matter of really just being prepared and understanding and being ready for the next possible disaster can come in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's true. I also believe that designers and architects are the ones that are going to help keep these things from happening again in the future. You know, I think that the, the better designed communities Agreed. Are, are prepared for this. And it sort of takes me back to, you know, some of the work that you've done and what I've seen. When did, when did you start doing this? When, <laughs> when did you become a designer? When did you know that this is something that you wanted to do? Well, when I was growing up and we moved around quite a bit, I always noticed that I was the one, even at the age of five or six, seven, eight, nine, to pick the home and uh, love walking through the model homes. And when we moved to Malibu when I was 10, I picked the home, I picked my room. And, uh, but then I was actually sort of a hippie, barefoot, nature loving, Cal State Northridge major with, uh, majoring in pottery. And then two friends of mine when I was 21 and in my last year, uh, begged me to come part time to be their receptionist, um, bookkeeper, junior designer, librarian. 
and it sort of took over my world. And so I moved from pottery to interior design within a year. And then after about three years, was doing so well at Design One, um, actually became president. So it was an overnight sort of, you know, switching from being a barefooted hippie potter to having to put on high heels and court clients and do presentations. And it just came natural to, naturally to me. Isn't that interesting, though? Yeah. That it comes out. It's not a natural thing. I, I, I agree. But I do think it's learnable. I mean, if somebody I've seen people come and beg for a job and intern and Again, I think the 10,000 hour rule, like the Beatles always talk about, anybody can learn something and become pretty good at it if they put in the hours. So whether it's school or I believe truly in real life experience, um, it's a matter of, yes, it comes easier, maybe at 5,000 hours to some people, but uh, which it did for me. But I've seen people who seem like they have no taste, but immerse themselves in it because they have a passion and they can learn it. So it's not as mysterious as maybe some designers want to make it. I truly believe it's practice, practice, open mind, understanding. And then, yeah, some of us have more of a natural knack for it. Yeah, I, I think that it's, the business is simple, but it's not easy. No, it's grueling. It is grueling, but it, it really is simple. And I think that oftentimes yes. we make it a little bit too complicated. True. Um, where we are today compared to where we were when mm -hmm. you started in the business, it's really different. Yeah. And you have to learn along the way. I mean, every aspect of what you do is different now, I would imagine, than when you started. Do you have a process for learning? You know, the process I learned very early on was to listen to my clients. And, you know, I had a psychology minor, plus I have a lot of psychologists in my family. So I think the listening and being open, um, plus Design One developed as into the largest model home merchandiser in the country during the 70s and early 80s. So we couldn't have a signature look. We had to listen to these developers who were selling their homes um, to who the client was, who the mythical client was. So we always had sort of a Rorschach test uh, for real clients and then basically a what if for an imaginary client, a first time buyer, uh, empty nester. Um, and it was very easy sort of to adapt the style that we were doing to the taste of our client or like I said, to the mythical um, client. And we did that for about 10 years and grew very large. We actually ended up opening an office in Paris for Kaufman and Broad. And so it was, and then we had our lucky break into hospitality. Disney was looking for a non-hospitality designer, more had a residential background, that was us. And then we started doing their vacation homes. And then we took off and ended up doing 18 projects while Mike Eisner was there, which was unheard of. No other design firm had done that much work for Disney. You hear stories about Disneyland and what happens behind the scenes mm -hmm. so that the presentation to the, to, the, to, the, to the end user is as powerful as it can be. What was your experience like in that environment? Well, the experience, I have to give a lot of credit to Michael Eisner, who was an incredible visionary. He knew the story he wanted to tell, whether it was a movie or a hotel he was building. 
and he put the same passion behind it. So let's say we did uh, the boardwalk, which, you know, he hired Robert Stern, these, you know, incredible star architects we got to work with. And basically the setting was turn of the century hotels. And we did our, all of our research. So every piece of furniture, fabric had to be authentically themed to that era. And so that was really the story dictated the process, the design process. And for us, we just got it and we listened to him. And of course they had tight budgets, which we were used to. So it was really a matter of, again, doing our research, t continuing the story. And with Disney for us, it was a magical connection and a magical experience. And I don't really know how they do it now. And I think he was, again, probably too much into design because as they continued to grow and they bought ESPN and ABC, he still insisted on picking out the fabric of every single chair. And I don't think you do that when you're the chairman of billions of dollars of companies. You know what? It's re hearing you say that. Yeah, you're right. But by the same token, isn't, isn't that where you can really attribute creative genius and, and the, the, pa the passion for sure in saying, I love this, I want, it, I want everything about it top down to look, feel, and be a certain way. Yes, but I think in lear learning how to run a business that grows, um, I think the top tier person has to always find people to replace them. And that means at every level. And I think the mistake that happened with Michael Eisner, which is no secret, people have written about it, analyzed it every which way, is that after Frank Wells died, he sort of got a little bit too um, deep detail oriented and started micromanaging. And that's why he lost Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was a genius in his own right. And he should have replaced himself even at this level he had an heir apparent, Wing Chow, who went on to, you know, do other things. But Wing could have, should have, would have been his ears and eyes for that process. He just didn't have time to micromanage anymore. And you don't do that when you're way up the uh, tier. I mean, it's just a matter of you've got to find people to replace you and you have to give them free reign. And design firms are the same. You, unless you're the only one designing and you're a small firm, you've got to hire talent and let them go. Yeah, I was going to back up and ask you if that's your approach. It's my personal approach, yeah. yes, that um, I've always liked to find talent and teach them how I handle clients and then let them bring in their own signature or personality. I think it's the only way to really grow a business, no matter what the business is. Let's back up a second and, and go back to merchandising for model homes. <laughs> right. Because I think that's... I think that's really incredible to, to be sort of at the nucleus of that idea because it was new at the time. It was new at the time and actually, you know, some people remember model homes, but today it's very different. It's staging and we don't do it. I mean, once in a while we'll be asked to do a model and we will do it if it's a custom design. Like, for instance, we did the W residences, which are selling, you know, for very expensive high end uh, at the W Hollywood Hotel and the residential penthouses. But there are companies now that have warehouses full of furniture and will stage. But basically what they're doing is they're pulling in really kind of cheap, not to scale furniture. Um, and it works, I think, for the most part. But if somebody's at the very high end, we'll still be called in to do a model, per se. But back in the 70s and 80s, there were track homes being built all over the world. And we did condo conversions everywhere. So it was a big deal then. Um, for instance, in Paris, Coffin and Brogue, we did all of their condo apartments. And they were very, very expensive. Um, and 
it was a great run. It really taught us to sort of, again, have not a signature look associated with our name. And I, I love it too, you know, the design house concept and air quotes are flying all over the place. Design house. Kind of, the, the modern design house really is tantamount to a model home idea. Model homes at the time, when you're talking about starting out, is, is not what they are today. No. Right? It was, you, you actually put in a, there was a, there was a client, whether there was a real client or, or, a, yes. or a fictitious, yes. there, or, there was a client, mm-hmm. and, and they, were, they had personalities, and they right. had hobbies and habits. And, and the children had ages, and exactly. We, and we would accessorize to exactly what that mythical family was. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And then when we ended up doing private residential, which we do quite a bit of now, uh, I think it trained us to really open our eyes, listen, and then help come back to somebody that actually knows sort of who they are, but help them even decide more who they are in their own taste. That's what we'll do a Rorschach test. We'll, We'll come up with a lot of design palettes and say respond, even say something you hate, you love, even if it's a small picture on the board. Um, and then we can do our own analysis and understand really what their taste level is and what look they'll be open to. So it's a matter of training and understanding and the process. Do you, do you think that that amount of training detail and process is lost today by and large because social media is prolific? It's ubiquitous. Yeah, but even more than that, I would say that some of the residential clients started started to believe quite a few years ago, like maybe six, seven years ago with restoration hardware, for example, that, that they could do it themselves because they walk into a showroom and see a room that they basically feel like they could live in, and then they'll buy everything from restoration hardware. Now, the negatives about that is that the quality of the furniture is not to the up to the you know, level that when a client really hires a designer, what they're getting is a much, much higher level and name brand authenticity, if you will. Um, And believe me, it's not like our designers don't use RH because it's so easy, so convenient. So for secondary rooms, whatever, um, it's an easy no-brainer. But I feel like too many, even wealthy clients have started to think they could do it themselves. And it's like, you know, do you really fix your own car? Do you really, you know, you don't hire a lawyer? I mean, people need designers. If they really want to have a spectacular home, if they can afford it, a designer, I can't stress it enough, will give you a much better home that's you rather than just doing it yourself. I don't care how sophisticated you think you are. I just, you know, I just think it's a shame. And yeah, sure, social media has also maybe hurt that in a way and the copying of the Instagram designs it's just overkill but I actually think that some of these you know and back in the 70s and 80s it was Christ believe it or not you know we competed with Christ's furniture because they had beautiful showrooms they did a California look and I remember you know someone like Magic Johnson going to Christ's furniture to furnish his entire home or several homes and instead of hiring a designer and it was fine. It was the look he wanted, but you know, I do think again the sophisticated client will hire a designer because a designer will actually help them achieve a unique look for them. Well, and I I feel at the same time it, it's not just about the the style, but the functionality of it. You can take a look off a showroom floor, and you can put it in your house, and you may even be able to replicate that look a hundred percent. But you're going to live differently. You don't live in a showroom. 
you don't live in a vacuum. There are, there are environments mm -hmm. to, the, to the home, to the environment, to the neighborhood, to the, to the individual family, to the way that you use the space. It's all different. And, True. A, and a, a designer who, who comes in and does their job the way that professional designers do, they factor in all of those things. It's like, look, you may love that sofa, but you're going to destroy it in, exactly. two, in two years. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, again, I just hope that the world sort of swings back to, again, hiring professionals because we're sort of just sad at, at you know, how many people, uh, even very wealthy people can afford it you know, oh, I, I can do it myself. I'm just shocked. So I think that, you know, again, these beautiful retail outlets have had actually probably the most negative impact on people hiring professionals than even social media. You are listening to my conversation with designer Sue Firestone. This seems like a really good place, uh, especially when Sue is talking about furniture and retail and resources and, and, hiring designers and, the, and the, the proliferation and the success of designers, always looking for new resources. And I've got one for you. And it's Article. If you are not familiar with Article, they are an online-only furniture company inspired by mid-century style and Scandinavian simplicity. As a design trade professional, you are going to love the style and the quality of Article's furniture. Here's the best part about Article. They have created a trade program specifically for busy designers like you. Check this out. Joining the trade program is free, and there is no minimum for you to start receiving trade discounts. None. Zero. You also get exclusive designer pricing that cannot be found for less elsewhere on the internet. They offer a standard one-year warranty on all Article furniture and the shipping. I love this. You're going to love the shipping too. Flat rate, in most cases, if not free, and it's fast. Stock items ship in two weeks or less. They handle special invoicing, tax-exempt purchasing, and the customer service. Next to the shipping, you're going to love this too. The customer service, they're staffed by design professionals. These are real people who know exactly what you're trying to accomplish, and they have the authority to help you get what you need. For all the details uh, and to sign up for Article's trade program, please go to CXD. Dot article dot com. CXD as in Convo by Design, cxd.article.com. We're going to get back to my conversation with designer Sue Firestone. I've said this for a while. I consider architects to be our futurists today, defining the way and the manner in which we're going to be living in 5, 10, 15 years from now. I consider designers to be the, the sort of arbiters of what it's going to look like. You know, you have that combination of form and function. And I'm curious, you know, we've seen a lot, maybe at some level, at, at a certain level, the formal living room still stays in because you've got a 10,000 square foot home. The formal dining is still there. By and large, in the smaller mm -hmm. footprints, especially with that California style of living, mm -hmm. you open up to the outside, mm -hmm. certain formalities go away. I'm curious, what are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing anything else sort of develop on the horizon that may be surprising? Um, I don't think anything is surprising. I think the evolution in California being sort of a front runner in terms of lifestyle, um, the envy of the world, if you will, including, you know, indoor, outdoor living spaces, which now we see 
clients in New York wanting that, even though they, <laughs> the weather is, uh, or Pittsburgh. I mean, we have clients that have relocated from California to Pittsburgh because they want the still the same California lifestyle. It's challenging, but uh, California has always been a front runner. I, I think back back to, you know, the hippie days of the '60s and the '70s, where again this is where it started, and I think as a design influencer, California has just not fallen off the mat since then. So the California look, if you will, is definitely indoor-outdoor living, more casual than formal. Um, and I, I think leaning towards back towards, again, back to nature and more organic and um, sensitive to, um, you know, recyclable, you know, not hurting the planet. You know, we've again been the front runner on that front, so, but now designers have to take note of that. and. It's kind of an, an easy no-brainer because most of our vendors really are throwing products at us that are green, uh, you know, not damaging the planet. And I think that, you know, again, staying local um, to not have the shipping costs, getting back to made in America or even California crafted has is, is become huge. So I think that that's where it's going to stay as an influencer. I'm not sure that answers your question. I don't think there's anything new or surprising um, but just less and less formal and then more and more high quality, um, durable fabrics. You know, I think the move from hospitality or commercial, if you will, fabrics into the home, that's a huge thing where you can't now tell the difference between a, a commercial fabric per se and a hospital and a residential fabric. They have to have the same lifespan and they also have the same sensitivity to not killing the planet. And thank you, by the way. Not only did you answer the question, but it was it was it dovetails nicely into sort of the next place I, I wanted to go with you, and that is designer as product designer, product purveyor, product creator. Um, I guess it's the next step in the evolution of of a design business that's hitting on all cylinders. Tell me about that. What's the process? Yeah, I don't know if that's true about, I do know of some designers that even from the start of their businesses, uh, Kelly Wurstler, for example, Clodaw, but I think for many firms and for many designers, it's not really the path. For me, it was a personal passion of after four decades of dealing with clients, kind of wanting to go back to my roots, which was being sort of hands-on, tactile, and designing product that I love and that really is my taste. Um, so it was a personal transition for me, but the company still goes on under Kara Smith, my partner, and she's you know really running the company full steam ahead, so I lucked out. I wouldn't be able to do the product design if I was doing that still, but like I said, women like Kelly Wurstler and Clodagh have seemed to be able to do both, but I think they have huge teams on both sides helping with the firm and the product. I'm just doing the product on my own, um, and it's a kind of a, a shift that I was able to do because I found someone else to run the ship. And also just a matter of, like I said, four decades of dealing with clients where I just decided it was, I was done. And rather than retiring, I decided I wanted to move into designing product. And I've been lucky enough to have enough of a name where, again, it was an easy sell to Kravit, to Arun, to McCarran carpets and fused lighting and uh, marble systems for tile. So it. I don't think it's for every designer. I think you have, you have to establish your name, maybe for decades. Uh, again, Clodagh and Kelly didn't. They did it all at the beginning. 
So, but for me, it's been a great choice. You know what, Sue? Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Because, you know, honestly, the way I've been thinking for quite some time is that it is a natural progression, but you know what? Maybe, maybe it's not for everyone. I guess where it came from was when you, when you work in the environment, you're working with clients, you're working with product manufacturers, you're working with suppliers, and you're working with reps, and you're working with showrooms, and you, you get a feel for how everyone does business. At some point, you start to say to yourself, golly, why don't they understand that we do business a little differently? Or I'm not saying every vendor is mm -hmm. like this. I'm saying that there are some, maybe even the ones whose product you absolutely love and have to have to the point where you sort of go off and think, gosh, you know, I can do, I can do that. Good point. Um, you know, and, and again, I have to say that the four decades of dealing with vendors and then particularly on the high end residential side, which was a decision for me to go into product design for that, which surprised some people. They said, oh, don't you have a hospitality background? I'm like, yeah, but my passion really lies with the private residential. And for private residential and even for hospitality, I've been designing custom product for again four decades so it, it was in my blood already to custom design and then I chose the particular vendors I did a Rudin for example because they were always very open to custom designing um, their furniture for us and also the quality was there the high high high-end quality and I think it's no accident I didn't know at the beginning that you know they're a hundred year old fifth generation family run business crab at the same thing it was really weird the hundred year anniversaries hit both the same time I started working with them. But, and Kravit I chose because again, I had noticed that they chose some very, very high-end designers that I admired, including Diane von Furstenberg um, and to uh, Kate Spade, sadly she didn't last with us, but um, fashion designers and then also a lot of the very highest end residential designers. So I selected them to go with on the fabric. Plus they had a international um, outlet, which I was excited about. So, um, yeah, I chose very carefully who I went after and knock on wood, it's been a home run with each case so far. Yeah. Tell me, you know, backing up a little bit, tell me about your process as it relates to the development and creation of the product. Sure. How do you, and, and let me preface this with, I have a little bit of experience, uh, very little, in creating um, desks for broadcast, for mm -hmm. podcasts, for that sort of thing. And having gone, I mentioned that because I've gone through the process. And boy, it, sometimes it can be a little easier than other times. Sometimes it can be an outright challenge. Good, good question. Um, what happened about five years ago when I decided I wanted to do this, I decided to put together uh, a series of about 20 color boards. And I had flown out to Kravit, New York, and met with Scott Kravit and his right hand, Steve Prada. They showed me color boards that other designers had done, and I was kind of blown away, but I decided I'm going to do better. And I put in many, many hours with friends and family, like working overtime to do these incredibly huge, bigger than anything I saw, and more developed, that really said, you know, what I wanted the Sue Firestone collection to be. And it's, it's all about me, you know, growing up in the 60s and 70s in Point Doom, barefoot on the beach, 
kind of the Coachella vibe, but you know, 50 years ago. And that's my love and organic back to nature. So I put together these boards and then presented them to Kravitz. They were blown away. And then their designers, once we signed a deal, used those boards to create designs for me, sent them to me. I would approve, change, bless, change the color, et cetera. It was a great, easy process. But it all started with the brand boards that I created that were reflective of my signature as I wanted it to develop. Showed the same boards to A. Rudin. Again, they took off from that to create upholstery pieces. And then I actually hired someone to help me work, uh, somebody who designs furniture, to sit down and design pieces of furniture that had live edge. Because I've always gone to Mimi London, but I wanted to create sort of a live edge that was a little bit more um, feminine, if you will, less massive, less uh, ski-oriented, and something that could be used in California, you know, indoor outdoor living. And it's been a great success. So I, you know, again, used the years of Ralph's, you know, eye for upholstery as a sounding board for that. And then my own intuition in terms of the case pieces. And uh, now I'm doing the same with the carpets. And with lighting, it's proving a little more challenging. I'm going back to the owner fuse and saying, hey, I I need to sit down with you and design this because it's new to me and I need the sounding board. And good on you for being able to say that. That's not easy to do. I had to. <laughs> yeah, but to be able to yeah. recognize it. Did you find yourself struggling with it for a while before you capitulated? And um, said, okay, I, I struggled it. for a week and then I just reached out to him and said, we have to do this together. <laughs> is is that how you are? Is that your personality? I think so. I, I, I'd rather be straightforward than BS. No, 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 no. It's not the difference between being straightforward or, or BSing it. It's, I don't know, to me, it's kind of like, fighting with it how long are you willing to fight with it to say I can do this I can do this myself before you get to the point where it's like okay you know what I need some help sure well the color boards were easy because again I just knew I'm doing that again for four decades so that was an easy no-brainer but to design something that's technically not something I'm familiar with um, that's again why I referred back to using Ralph as you know his you know he's grown up with with upholstery, he knows it, and using him, and um, then this furniture designer who I worked with, I, I I need to rely on the technical aspects of the license, or, and that's why it worked out well with Kravik because they have incredible designers in house, and they just knew what they were doing and what would work and what mills to use, and again, so I didn't have to get educated in that area. Do you remember the feeling? the emotions. I'm just curious what the feeling was the first time you got product back with your name on it that you designed, <laughs> that you first saw. Do you remember what that felt like? It was thrilling. Yeah, it was a whole new it was a whole new feeling because again, after years and years and years of just having a lot of satisfaction of designing for clients and seeing the finished product, um, that was a thrill. But this was a different feel, thrill because for me, it was really a reflection of my loves, my taste, what's important to me. Um, so it was a whole different, yeah, exciting thrill. So taking that back to the work, and this kind of, it feels to me, and what I've seen is having that product line. And while you pointed out that it's not for everyone, and that's true, it seems like an opportunity to take a creative back to their roots as you've mentioned Mm -hmm. and sort of reset the table modern times with those roots like in your case it's that it's that created California Mm -hmm. feel so 
it's, I love to see when creative as business person takes the passion and wraps it into the business and it resonates with an audience. And then it seems to be from a, back to the business side to try to figure out ways in which to recreate that, duplicate it, replicate it. How do you, how do you do that? What's on the, what is your, what is your plan? What is your vision? How do you look into the future and say, okay, here's what I love doing. Here's what's selling. Here's the combination of the two. Here's a project that I want to start. How do you figure knowing how much time you have available and knowing that time is always stretched mm -hmm. and it's the one thing we can never add more of. How do you plan the business like that? Um, in terms of licensing, which is really sort of what I'm all about right now, um, there's sort of twofold answers. One is that I'm going back to my staff consistently and saying, kind of doing a lunch and learn to them, which is hysterical because they're like, oh my God, the founder is coming in and selling her product to us but hoping that they'll, you know, get passionate about it. And clients that knew me, of course, hoping my designers will show them um, whatever new product is. And it, it seems to be working, but also there is my name recognition, which I actually, you know, didn't realize I had as much notoriety as I do. I mean, it sounds humble and everything, but it, I, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I plan to keep going. I'd like to have, you know, in total, maybe 10 to 12 licenses. But again, I, it's something that's easy for me to do. I'm traveling um, for fun with my family six months of the year, and that'll be my next inspiration after you know Malibu and growing up in the 60s. Um, but I'd love to do plumbing. I'd love to, like I said, you know, fuse lighting. I'm knocking on wood that I can get that together. Um, I would like to go on and do other hard surfaces and uh, outdoor furniture. Um, you know, I think bedding, pillows, et cetera. So I, I, you know, the list goes on. Whatever designers need, I would like to actually design all the product, you know, with different selected vendors. So, but I'm not in a hurry. Um, and my leisure time is very important to me. So it's a matter of doing it on my own schedule, my own time. Two things you said, I mean, everything you said, I, I find fascinating and really interesting and true. But two things you said in particular, the first is, um, regarding your name when did you know you were a brand not not a designer when did you know you were a brand I honestly don't think I knew it until I approached Kravit and A. Rudin and they said of course we'd be open to talking to you and I was I was thinking I had to do a harder sell I, I actually you know I mean I've been in the world for a long time I guess I've had more exposure than I knew. Um, I really was humbly surprised. So, great. I'll take advantage of it now. <laughs> Does that surprise you? Does that kind of my you know with with my background in in brand development and and seeing how hard people work on the on the jobs that they do and they just keep their head down and they just keep working and they just keep producing remarkable content and remarkable spaces and remarkable products and remarkable things. And you know, all of a sudden, one day you, you wake up and you go, oh, I got lucky. You know, one day you wake up and you, you know, lightning struck. Lightning didn't strike. I, mm -hmm. You put a lot of work into it. And in that time, you became a brand. And I, I just find it in interesting and it, it's incredibly inspirational. I think people knew of my name more than I knew, but, but 
I think, again, the first recognition was like, oh, you do hotels, don't you? And then secondarily, yes, we do residences also. So I had to kind of reapproach, you know, Kravit and a Rudin. I don't want to do hotel furniture or hotel fabrics. I just don't. I really want to go for the very high end, one of a kind, you know, audience that I like and more identify with. So, yes, the name recognition was out there, but I kind of had to switch people into seeing me more as experienced in the residential arena because we, in all honesty, haven't gotten the amount of notoriety that we deserve because a lot of our clients will not let us publish their homes. I mean, they're very private and um, so it's really word of mouth and I don't think even the design community is aware to the level of the clients that we have had the last 20 years in private residential. So that was a little bit of a challenge. Does that frustrate you? Sure. I mean, yeah, it does. But at the same time, I get it. I understand. I mean, privacy, especially with social media these days, is like, I don't blame people for being afraid. Um, so we respect that. And I've sometimes made a clause, which I've been surprised some of our clients have actually agreed to work. I won't tell them, I won't show them a picture of your finished home, but if I can just talk about you as one of our clients and name drop you, and they've agreed to that, which has opened up many doors for us. So that has helped. Yeah, I imagine. The other, <clears throat> excuse me, the other thing you said that I, I, I just, I sort of grabbed onto was, in my experience, the number one source of external inspiration for designers and architects, for the, for the trade, the core of the trade is travel. And I get that. And I'm curious, when you travel, because you travel a lot with the family and on business, but mm -hmm. when you travel, are you a traveler or do you go and you're kind of always working a little bit? You're always kind of like, oh, I see that would look great in this room or that, you know, I, I could, do you know what I'm saying? I'd say I would use, I used to be like that, but uh, until maybe five, six years ago where I actually started to travel completely in a leisurely way, but looking more for things that would inspire a fabric or a piece of furniture or seeing something unique that maybe can translate into a lighting fixture. Um, so my eyes have been open in a different way. Um, you know, I was walking along the beach and the Pearl Islands, which are these, you know, nomadic uh, culture off of uh, Panama, where literally the the main thing they eat is iguanas, the, the local people. But it's so beautiful. But I was looking at this sand pattern, and I thought, oh, my God, that would be a beautiful fabric. Brought that picture home, sent it to Kravitz. So been inspired by more exotic locations and and again, nature, then it's just something I'm just always been drawn towards. So I still am. So it's more lately I've been looking at things for inspiration for my products rather than for a particular client. You know what I also think is fun when talking to California designers, especially Los Angeles based California designers, and we're talking about travel and realizing that we happen to live and work in one of the travel destinate, the top travel mm -hmm. destinations in the world. Exactly. And I actually had that was sort of my pitch, um, if you will, to Kravit because they have a you know, 25 to 30 extremely well-known designers. But I said to them, do you really have a true California designer? And, you know, I mean, raised in Malibu and very passionate about, you know, the look that was introduced in the 70s by, you know, icons such as Michael Taylor and Steve Chase, who were my original influencers and created the 
original California look. Um, and they said, you know, went through their roster and, and I fit into the right niche at the right time. Isn't that amazing? Being good, you have to be good to be in the game. But then there's that luck factor. Right. And timing. Right place at right time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Going back just a little bit one more time. Do you have, do you have any favorite? Is, I love asking the question because it, it, it's, it's almost like asking about who's your favorite child. You know, but asking about favorite projects, some have said, no, I really, I really love them all. And I get that. That makes sense. And some have said, no, you know what? Here are the ones and here's why. Do you have favorite projects? I mean, sure. Um, when we worked for Disney, again, the 18 projects, there was a few favorites of mine. Um, more currently, we finished... Um, a great vegan restaurant in Santa Barbara, in Montecito, actually, Oliver's, um, which is just very much my look, you know, very clean, very California, very indoor-outdoor. Um, we did it for a billionaire who just wanted to have a restaurant as a hobby, which is fun. Um, but now I actually more am gearing towards, like, even favorite projects that I see other designers do, and I always think about resorts, and, you know, the almond resorts around the world have always been something I've been amazed by, and, you know, they usually are 30 to 40 rooms, and there was one in, uh, called Almonquila, which is on the island of Bali, but it's built up in the trees, I mean, you're 30 feet to 100 feet above the ground, and it's just the experience that you have being immersed in nature that I absolutely love so I, I those tend to be more on my favorites list these days than anything else California creative and I'll, I'm gonna wrap this up but California creative California culture covers a lot of ground when when you think about the Los Angeles area the as an Angelino what are do you have any favorite parts of LA if it wasn't so hard to drive around, I'd have a lot I more. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I mean, when I grew up in Malibu, we had no high school, so I was bust into Samo High. So I've I've been aware of L.A., and I, of course, I've always loved Venice Beach, but it's changed a lot, and, you know, it's just now it takes an hour to get from the PDC <laughs> to that area. So um, I don't know if I have any favorites in L.A. Again, Santa Barbara's now has been my home for the last 25 years. I did live in Alabama. LA before that for 20 years um, I think LA has everything to offer but again I think LA itself in terms of designers kind of look towards the beach or the mountains for really design inspiration um, not so much the urban experience is really what people think of as California so oh and I wanted to just point out something else with a and it was really actually easy to again um, come at the right moment because they had never had a female designer so again it was the right moment for them to introduce first female designer and you know they've been in business for 100 years so that was a, a coup to me and them mouth agape how is that <laughs> how is that possible well they've been only doing licensing for the last maybe 15 years but and they have some amazing designers but yeah i just happened to be the first woman who approached them and and it was great great timing how amazing is that congratulations thank you and and phenomenal timing as as well as as we've said yeah and they made a big deal about it yeah as you know for their launch do you think 
is kind of a silly question, but do you think that that's still an issue? Gender? No, not really. I, I, I mean, truthfully, no. I think um, just inherently there has been a lot of incredible male designers, both in fashion and interior design, um, over the years. And I think it's been easy for women to come into their own. Um, I don't feel like it's been... I've, I've never re- been blocked or because of, you know, being yeah, no, female. I, no, I don't mean blocked or anything. I just mean, I think that there's been, an, you know, I'm, I'm going way off, off topic here, but I just think that it's, it's been interesting that design has been such a heavily male-dominated industry. And it, it, to me, it's always been sort of counterintuitive, you know, uh, on, only because everyone sees design. Everyone sees beauty. Everyone sees the creative. Uh, anyway, this has been so much fun. Yes, definitely, Josh. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, thank you for doing this. Sure. Thank you. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendome Furniture. Design culture, it's the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendome pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest? Vendome products are simple and elegant contemporary, and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted, modern, durable, molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique, and they beg to be enjoyed. They search the planet for the right designers that embody the Vendôme spirit and work together to create remarkable pieces into an exclusively Vendôme mode of expression. And if you haven't seen Vendôme before, you can check them out in uh, some of the Convo by Design videos you'll find on our YouTube channel. But you can find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in L.A. Or online at vondom.com. <laughs>